You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, 12th Street. How are you? Good. Threw you off that time, didn't you? Good morning. Good to see you guys. I'm glad to be in together with you in worship. I am um, always excited to open up the Word together. And so uh, whether you be here with us or at home, we encourage you to open up your Bibles. In fact, I want to encourage you today to take some notes. I oftentimes will not encourage that because I think sometimes we can get so caught up in taking notes that we can miss the point that God is with us and moving in us and wants to change us right here and now. But we're embarking on a series that I've never done before on a Sunday morning. Uh, You saw just a minute ago uh, how to study the Bible. This is the most Googled phrase of all Christian phrases ever Googled is the the phrase how to study the Bible or how do I study the Bible? How do I study the scriptures? And so as we are endeavoring to become a church that is not just about being a teaching center, we also want to be what the scriptures tell us to do as overseers, as pastors, to be not just teaching, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And our best way to do that, we believe, is to do that on our Sunday morning time. And so we're going to endeavor to work with you over the next four weeks, this week included, to walk through a basic version of how to study in the Bible. Now, don't turn us off now, whether you're in-house or not. Uh, We will also be listening to the Word and being impacted by the Word as the Lord moves on us by His Spirit, changes us. We will still be hearing a sermon of sorts. But I want to show you each week one piece of how we study the Bible and how you can do that on your own. So if you don't have your notepad with you today and you're kind of regretting that right now, I want to encourage you to go ahead and reach out to our office. You can email us at hope at 12th.co, hope at 12th.co, and you can get these notes from today to kind of get you back kick-started. But I do want to encourage you uh, to turn in your Bibles now with us to the Gospel according to John verse 14 of chapter 14. So John 14, 14, and that's where we're going to be today. I think most of us would say that learning how to read the Bible is one of the hardest things we've ever done. In fact, it's an ongoing process. None of us will ever complete until the Lord comes back, and then we don't necessarily need to look at his self-revelation to us through his word because we'll be looking at him in his self right there in front of us, right? But in the meantime, it's difficult because we are sinful, we are tainted with sin, and so we need all the help that we can get. And so I'm going to walk through this today, and each week we're going to cover four parts, really three parts, one part's divided in two, and each time we're going to have a passage we're going to look at that is going to kind of give us an example of how we do that one part. Okay, and I'm going to do all three every time because we're teaching here but I'm going to train you to do one part each week that'll be corresponding with the individual uh, verse that we're looking at that week with the individual part of how to study the Bible. So if you would look with me, John 14, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's what Jesus says. Read it again. If you will ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This one verse, along with others, has led many people to great expectations only to be followed by great disappointments. In fact, I would say this one verse has given many people much hope only to drive them away from God because he did not answer their prayers according to how they prayed. Many of you might know people that are in that camp. This verse has been misused by false teachers to demand things from God 
as if God is a genie in a bottle and as if the words in Jesus' name are a magical incantation to getting the secret of whatever the Bible is that we don't quite know yet. Uh, This was recently done, and I'm going to call out names, by a guy named Kenneth Copeland. Uh, I watched it in disbelief online as he, or a recording of a time right when this COVID stuff hit us, when he proclaimed with about four or five, six other pastors, they call themselves pastors on the stage, uh, and they proclaimed, in the name of Jesus, that COVID would be gone, be destroyed. And that they declared in that day, because they had said it in Jesus' name, that it was sure that it happened, it was gone, it was over. And as we all know, it is not over. It is not gone. So many false teachers have used this in wrong ways. Many people that aren't false teachers but just have misused Scripture because they didn't know any better and have found disappointment. So how can we correctly study this verse of the Bible so that we are true to God's Word and so that our faith in God is encouraged and even enlarged? How do we do that? I want to walk with you through some pieces. These will be the notes on the front end I want you to take, and then you can put your pencil down, and we'll walk through the Word even more together. Let me give you some notes in the front end. Basically, over the next four weeks, we're going to cover three things about how to study the Bible. We're going to cover, one, observe, two, interpret. That's going to be two weeks' worth, and then three, apply. Observe, interpret, and apply. And I want to focus on the word observe today on our observation of the text. Observe means this, to establish a basic knowledge of what the text is saying. To establish a basic knowledge of what the text is saying. And if we go too fast for you, it's okay. You can still get the notes, all right? Don't worry about that. But this is what it means, to establish a basic knowledge of what the text is saying. So as an introduction, let me give you a few things we need to cover to make sure we're on the same page. All right, so if you are a Bible-believing Christian who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ, if you've been, if you've been saved because you believed on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the one who died for you on the cross, then we all agree on a few things here. First of all, you need to understand that the Bible is what we call inspired, and we call that type of inspiration verbal plenary inspiration. Now, you don't need to know those words. Let me just explain what that means. That's just shorthand for me. Verbal plenary inspiration means means this, that we believe that God spoke through his spirit, his perfect spirit, into and through imperfect men to write a perfect revelation of who he is and what he wants us to know in order to be in relationship with him. And that he chose every single word in the original text to be there on purpose. Even though he used different personalities, different people types. And yes, just to make sure we're clear, you can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. We understand? This is possible that God can do this through imperfect people. We also believe and understand that the only way to really understand Scripture and to see it in its all fullness of truth is that we would have the Holy Spirit to bring to light that truth to our hearts, to show us that truth, to illumine our minds, and to bring us understanding. And that happens with a lot of prayer, seeking the Lord and asking Him. See, as we depend on Him, He reveals Himself to us. We close ourselves off to Him, it's hard to see Him even in His Word. Thirdly, this. We serve an infinite God communicating to a finite people, yes, that's us, we are finite, an infinite God communicating, communicating to finite people with finite language. Okay, so that means a lot of things for us. Basically, though, I could say it like this, that an infinite God has chosen to reveal himself to people who cannot understand or fathom infiniteness, and we have a finite language that we use. In fact, the original languages of the Bible are Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic in there, and he 
put that, this message in those languages to us, and he can do that. In fact, I want you to make sure you understand something. God is not trying to hide his message to us in this Bible. The mystery of the word of God has been revealed in all its fullness in Jesus Christ the Son. It is not a mystery or a secret to be found by any other means. It's already been revealed in Jesus. There are no dark, deep secrets of the Bible that unlock some kind of supernatural life on this earth any more so than meeting Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit, and that is the one who brings you into eternal life so that we are now alive eternally, one foot in heaven, one foot here, waiting for the return of Christ to take us home. The secret of the Bible, if there's any secret at all, is Jesus and he was revealed, especially on the cross, and now made known to us by his Holy Spirit through the inspiration of many men across millennia who have spoken of him before he came and after. And that is how we know him. There is no other secret in the scriptures. And God has perfectly revealed himself and his mission to us through this word, using the finite rules of language so that we can trust those rules. He created language. He created us to learn in a certain way, and so he uses that. In fact, if you didn't know that there are, there's only so many suppositions in language, only so many things language can do, and they do it across all breadths of all languages. They're just sounding different to different people groups. Right? Only one God would do that. And he does that in a way that we can listen to it and read it and understand it, and it will speak to us from his own word. You don't have to have a master's of divinity. You don't have to have a Bible school degree or a doctorate. You don't even have to have a Sunday school class certification or perfect attendance to study the Bible. Put all those pins where they go, wherever you place them. What you need is the Holy Spirit and discipline. Let me give you some rules of observation. Are we ready? No? Are we ready? Rules of observation. I'm running fast and hard. Okay, we're going to get to the text here. Rules of observation. First of all, use a good Bible translation. Use a good Bible translation. There are different types of Bible translations. There are word-for-word -word translations. There are thought-for-thought -thought translations. And there are paraphrase translations. If we believe that God chose every specific word to be that word in the Bible, then we want you to understand this, and we want you to use a Bible that is a word-for-word -word translation. Now, what you see on the screens here is the ESV Bible. In fact, that's an ESV study Bible. Uh, ESV is one that is a word-for-word -word translation. It's not the only one. The New King James is also a word-for-word -word translation that's translated directly from the Greek and Hebrew. Uh, also, another one would be the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. Uh, we choose, I choose to use the ESV because it's one of the easiest to understand that is also a word-for-word -word translation. A thought-for-thought thought translation would be where there's a little more interpretation. You see, anytime you go from one language to another, there's a, a little bit of interpretation. And so we want to eliminate as much of that as possible when we do real study of the Word, and so we can let the Holy Spirit bring us to understanding of truth. And so we try to get away from the thought-for-thoughts for deep study, but it's okay to have them and read them. In fact, I would say have a several translations open in front of you. One of those thought-for-thought -thought translations, which is a good Bible, but maybe not one I would use for good study, would be the NIV. It's a thought-for-thought. -thought. It takes a thought and translates it into another thought instead of word-for-word -word translations. Another type would be the, the paraphrase, which would be something like you might know the New Living Translation or the Message, which is a paraphrase. In fact, just so you know, the message wasn't ever intended to be a translation. It was intended to be a help to people to understand the Bible, but it's been marketed as such after Eugene Peterson helped to craft it. But that's another side topic. 
I think all those have their place. In fact, I used to think the message had no place. I was very frustrated by it being a Bible school student, you know. Thought that it was a waste of people's time. They shouldn't be reading that stuff. Until I was a student pastor and I had a little girl who was a, um, a high school girl, young high school girl, and she had really trouble, big trouble comprehending what she read, especially when it came to the Bible. And I tried every translation I had on my shelf, and I have many, until I got finally to the message and I breathed out a sigh of disappointment in my own heart. <laughs> and I handed the message over and that girl's life changed reading the Bible. So they all have their place. But I want to encourage you, if you want to do some good deep study, try to stick to a word-for-word translation, ESV, NASB, New American Standard Bible, or the New King James. On top of that, purchase yourself a fantastically good study Bible. Not a life application Bible, a study Bible. This is one, the ESV study Bible. And I say that not because I get paid by Crossway to do this. I say this because I have never had a study Bible that was better at what this study Bible does. It basically tells you not things like how to apply all these things or what so-and-so thinks about this or that. It helps you, like when you get to a part in the Bible where it says, hey, this guy got two talents, this guy got five, you're like, what's a talent? And it says, a talent is this. Okay, it doesn't give you all the fluff. It just gives you the stuff to understand what you're reading. It's very, very helpful. 30 bucks, you can get it for a couple dollars a month if you want to use it online. Please purchase one of those. Okay, so get a good, buddy, a good Bible to read, a good translation. Secondly, ask good questions. This is simple. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Do you remember those? Who, what, when, where, why, how? And then ask questions of those questions. We're going to do that in a few minutes. And then thirdly, Look for what the word emphasizes. Did you know that everything in your life and language is driven by the verbs? We think the nouns are the most important oftentimes, but the verbs are most important. If I just say dog, that means nothing. You have no idea. Okay, if I say dog eat, that changes everything. Dog run, right? Dog lay down. Whatever it is, it changes everything. Verbs drive sentences. Look to the verbs. Look for how much space is given in a given part of the scriptures to a topic that you're seeing there. Also look for repetition. This is personally my favorite. I see it all over the place. We're going to see a lot of it today. Repetition is important. If you see exaggeration or hyperbole, take note of that. Be aware of why are they doing that. Ask those questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to give it to you. Tone of the author, tone of the verbs. Look for all these things. Learn to observe the text. Go in there with a mind to say, what are you trying to tell me today? I don't understand this word. Let me look this up a little better. Let me see if there's a footnote here for other scripture to cross-reference. Start to observe the text. And lastly, of these four things, I want you, when you're done with all your study, I want you to write out the passage in your own words. Because if you can do that then you've actually begun to understand the passage. Rewrite it, paraphrasing it in your own words to see if you can state it in your own way. We're going to do that today as well. So let's get back to the text, John 14, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. And many people have asked, is Jesus saying that anything and everything we ask for in his name he will do? Anything, everything? He can't be saying that, can he? Right, we could ask for the moon, probably not going to get it. I hope not. We could ask for all kinds of things you probably have. You don't always get it. So is this a formula for a magical incantation? Obviously, no. But if it's not getting what I ask for, is God then a liar? If he says he'll give me anything I ask for, is he a liar? We know that can't be true. That's impossible according to the scriptures, the self-revelation. Well, what if I'm not getting what I ask for? Does that mean I don't have enough faith? Some of you have thought that before, but I just prayed harder. If I just read my Bible more, if I'd have just fasted, if I'd have just not done that bad thing, 
God would have done this answering of my prayer. That, that's more like karma, by the way, than it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there consequences for our sin? Yes. But he does not sit up there and check off some lists and decide to whether your faith's big enough or not answer your prayers. Listen, he answers your prayers based on the faith of Jesus and if they line up with the things we're going to talk about today, not about how much faith you have, because you'll never have enough faith. Only Jesus had enough faith. And he lived that out by going to the cross in our place in full, total faith in his Father. So what does he mean when he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it? Well, you have to always look at the context. So you always look at the verses around that verse. So this is in a paragraph in most of your Bibles. So go back and read the whole paragraph, verse 12 and on. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Lord, help us today to see this truth of this word. Help us to understand it and live in it, that you might receive all the glory and that you might be glorified through your Son who might be lifted up today in us as we pray in his name. Amen. So what are we talking about here? Who Actually, who are we talking to? Who's talking? Jesus is talking. Who's the who, right? The who, what, when, where, why, who? Jesus is talking. He's talking to disciples. How do we know? If you go back and look in like verse 5, he's talking to Thomas. In verse 8, he's talking to Philip. He's talking to the disciples, those who are following him. We also know that Jesus is speaking to us. You know how we know that? We know this. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, truly, truly, that means listen up, by the way, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, do you believe in Jesus today? Then he's talking to you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is speaking to us. But what's he saying? That's a really important question. What? What's the what of this passage? In verse 12, we see he's saying you'll do works that he does, greater works than these even will you do. Uh, whatever you ask in his name, he'll do this. So what are these works? What are these greater works? What's he talking about there? Take it one at a time, right? I think immediately a lot of us jump to things like we hear him saying you can do greater works, we think of his miracles. But let's jump back and let the text tell us what he's saying. If you don't see it right here in the immediate text you're in, then broaden a little bit in your reading. Go back to verse 1. Let's read through in verse 1. I want you to notice the words believe and works. Because you would be looking for words that are repetitive, right? So go back and read. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? You know this one, right? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's talking about people coming to the Father, believing, believing, coming to the Father, right? He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. There's that word works again, right? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, believe me now in what I'm saying, or believe me based on my works that the Father has given me. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So in our observation time, we need to understand there's a lot of repetition going on there, right? The word believe that's there, the word work that is there. See how many times the words believe and works are actually used. If you go back in verse 1, it's used two times. In verse 10, the word believe is used once. It's used again twice in verse 11 and again in verse 12. You see works is used in verse 10, verse 11, and twice in verse verses 12. It's a lot of times, repeated over and over again really quickly. Do you remember the, the, the Ginsu commercial? Do you remember that? Anybody remember that commercial? Anybody raise your hand if you remember that commercial? It slices, it dices, it cuts, it does whatever, blah, 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 and it's Ginsu, 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 Ginsu. Why don't you say the name over and over again? Do you know why? So you'll remember it. See, we are geared to remember repeated things. That's not by happenstance. It's because that's how God created us. So when he then, therefore, repeats things, we should take note in his word. This word believe and the word works are tied together. Look at verse 11 again. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. So believe me because you know me and it's me and what I'm saying. Or believe me because of the works I do. So the works are meant to point people to Jesus that he is the son of God. That's the purpose of the works. We see that in John 10, verse 24 and 25. The Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. See, the purpose of the works are to bear witness about Jesus. Or John 17, 4, as Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross, this high priestly prayer, he says, I, to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. See that? His work was to glorify the Father. It shows that Jesus is the Christ. And if Jesus' works then are intended to lead people to believe in Jesus, then should not our works be about the same business? The answer is yes, isn't it? That's what they're for. So what works, what greater works, whatever works lead to people believing in Jesus? John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Or Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The repetition goes on. Do you realize verse 13 is then repeated by verse 14, which is our primary verse, right? Go back and look, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Must be important, huh? He's trying to stress the point. Take special note of that. But why does Jesus say that believers will do greater works than him? You know our brains jump right to the miracles. You're thinking, man, I'm going to walk on water. Don't try. Probably won't go well for you. You're thinking, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be feeding thousands of people with just a little bit of food in some kid's lunchbox probably not going to happen. So what are we talking about here? You know this is not true. You haven't done the miracles Jesus has done. We know in 1 Corinthians 12, 
7 through 11, on in 27 and beyond, we see that there's a listing about some will be prophets, some will be uh, apostles, some will be teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. The idea is no. Not everybody will do those things. Not everybody will perform miracles. Not everybody will be a prophet. Not everybody will be an apostle. Not everybody will do those kind of miracles. So what are these works we're talking about? Let's look at the immediate context again. Let's go a little further. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a weird verse to say right here. Look back at verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, and then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In fact, that word is what we know in the Greek, paraclete. That word means really at its core, advocate. One who stands there and assists you and helps you, but who also advocates on your behalf. He says, I will give you another advocate to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He goes on and says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You see, I believe these greater works are definitely made possible by the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that we've been given because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so these greater works are possible because God himself will do them in and through us. This is not a magical incantation to get what we want. This is for God to do his work through us as we believe on the Son. That's how this lines out. In fact, Jesus' last words to his disciples recorded at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, they line up and say the same thing. They shed light on this. Verse 21 through 23, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What power? Right? What power? Not your power, not my power, God's power by his Holy Spirit, breathed out on them to do his work. In other words, let me say it like this. Up until this moment in history, no one had ever been sent to proclaim forgiveness for sins by the finished work of Jesus. Nobody. Everybody had been sent to proclaim the promised forgiveness of sins through the promised Messiah. But now... We are sent to proclaim the finished work of Jesus, which brings forgiveness to all those who repent and believe in Jesus. In other words, all salvation up until this point had been proclaimed in the promised Messiah who was promised to come and save his people, but now the disciples and us, and us, are to be the proclaimers of the gospel to all the world. The good news of grace and peace made possible by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Andreas Kostenberger says a phrase that we should all lean into when he says, many early interpreters took the greater things to refer to the missionary success of the early church. Many early interpreters. We should always go back and say, the people closest to Jesus, how do they see this text? How do they understand this text? If they understood it as in you can't ask for anything and you get it, ask for a Rolls Royce and you get it. Ask for a sport bike and you get it. Ask for a house and you get it then that's how we should probably understand it. But you go back and read the earliest interpreters of Scripture, and they don't read it that way. They read it as referring to greater things being the missionary success of the early church. So if this is not a magical incantation, then why will Jesus do whatever we ask in his name? Why? That's a good question. 
What are the parameters of such a prayer, if there are any? Why does he do it? He says it in verse 13. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He'll do whatever we'd ask in his name so that the Father will be glorified through the Son, in the Son. So he will answer any of your prayers as long as it glorifies the Father in the Son. So whatever you ask for that glorifies the Father in the Son, he will do it. He will do it. Look at that word, those words there, in my name. It's a little caveat. You may skip over it if you weren't paying attention. It's repeated, though. Verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here's where that study Bible comes in helpful. Just right along the edge in the study Bible, you would see, based off this verse when you read about it, it gives us some great insight that would take you a lot of work to find in a lot of other books. It says, praying in Jesus' name means praying in a way consistent with his character and his will. A person's name in the ancient world represented what the person was like. It also means coming to God in the authority of Jesus. Probably both senses are intended here, it says. Adding in Jesus' name at the end of every prayer is neither required nor wrong. Effective prayer must ask for and desire what Jesus delights in. You hear that? It says, for further reference, see also note on 1 John 5.15, which 1 John 5.15 says this, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And he gives a note on that, talking about that if he hears us, and he hears the prayers of those who believe in the Son of God and are seeking to make much of him through their lives, their, their, their voices, because they are his. So look at John 14, 12 through 14 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, he says, I will do it. All right, I'm going to bring it down to a close here. Restating this in my own words, right? Hopefully we get this now. I'm hoping I got this now. I'm praying I got this. You're praying I got this by now, right? Stating in my own words, retracing those verses. Listen up. Whoever believes in Jesus will do the works Jesus did, showing great love to one another and proclaiming the good news about Jesus to the lost so that people will believe in Jesus. This is our job now because Jesus has gone to be with the Father until he returns. Whatever we ask in Jesus' name, Whatever we ask of Jesus that lines up with his character, puts on display his worth, and as long as it can be asked in alignment and under Jesus' authority, this he will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is good news. It tells us if we pray like that, he will do it. So let us ask for anything. And everything that lines up with Jesus' character, that lines up with Jesus' worth, with Jesus' beauty, with Jesus' authority, and for the glory of the Father, in this he will surely answer our prayers. He might not heal our loved one right now, but he will certainly bring healing to those who are his. He might not save us from difficult times right now, but he has certainly already saved us from the most difficult time. 
which was shown in Jesus' death on the cross in our place when he endured the full wrath of God in our stead so that we no longer have to worry about tasting of hell. But brothers and sisters, let us never, never wonder. Let us never wonder if he hears us. Because if you are in Christ, if you've been purchased by the, the blood of the Son, he hears you because you will pray in such ways. You will pray in such ways. You will ask him, Lord, please do this thing. Please do this thing. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. You will say, I may be wrong. I could make a mistake here. I feel strongly that I want this thing to happen. But it may not be in your timing. It may not be what you want. If you are infinitely wise, I am finite. You are infinitely, gloriously knowledgeable, and I am not. You will do all things that are perfectly right. And I ask for things that may not be. So, Lord, I yearn for this thing to happen. Please give me this thing. But more so, please, Lord, let your will be done because I trust in you. I believe in you because you've proven yourself over and over and over and over again, especially how you proved yourself in Jesus on the cross in my place as he died the death that I would die a thousand, a million times in hell. Thank you, Lord. So whatever you say, yes, Lord, I will do it. Lord, please give me my prayer, but more so give me you and whatever you will. Let us never, brothers and sisters, let us never fear approaching the throne of God with boldness, in the name of Jesus. With boldness in the name of Jesus. Means in the boldness that comes under his authority. That comes reveling in his glorious gift of eternal life to us. That comes in recognizing his supremacy. That comes in recognizing his great wisdom over ours. Let us never fear approaching the throne of God with this kind of boldness in the name of Jesus. Because we have been purchased by his blood for his glory. And his father is now our father brothers and sisters. And he yearns to be with each and every one of you who are in him. And he yearns to be with each and every one of you who are not yet his, for whom he sent his son to seek and to save your soul and to bring you home to be his. He yearns for you to be with him for all eternity. To him alone be all the glory and all the fame and all the praise. Amen and amen and a thousand amens and forevermore. Glory to God, our Father in heaven, and peace on earth to all those who might come to know Jesus. That is our prayer. May you answer that prayer, Lord, for us. Lord, we want your will to be done. And that means as we depend on you, we will be most in your glorious will, and you will answer those prayers. Maybe not in our timing, but your timing is always the right timing, Lord. So, Lord, help us draw our hearts to you in times where we need encouragement. And let us rest in your hands and recognize your manifest presence as your Holy Spirit resides in us so that we are always with you no matter where we go because you have always, always, always secured our hope in Jesus. We trust that. We believe that. But, Lord, help our unbelief. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.